Today we have with us Nicholas Sarlos. Sarlos, is that correct? Sarlo. With us, he's from Kitchener. He is a friend of Andrew Longmire, some of you may know. He has a passion for Jesus, and he has done youth work as well as campus ministry work. And we are blessed to be hearing from him today, so we welcome him. All right, well, good morning. Oh, that was a good good morning. You didn't even have to do that second chance thing that nobody likes to do. It is a real privilege to be with you this morning. As Laura said, I got connected with your church through Andrew Longmire, a friend of mine. We went to seminary together at McMaster. I just completed that this year. He beat me to the end. I took an extra course in the summer after, so that's all right. It wasn't a race. But it's been exciting to see the Lord open doors for him. Uh, He's in Oakville now serving as a youth minister there, and it's uh, been a blessing. We used to serve together in Waterloo, not at the same church, but in the same city at least, which was exciting. Um, But thank you for welcoming my wife Esther and I this morning. I'll give you a little more about myself before I get going. I'm from Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario originally, so I'm a small town boy myself. I came to Waterloo to go to Laurier many years ago when I was at Laurier. I decided, I felt the call to ministry and started looking at seminaries and diving into power to change on campus and being really involved in my church. And Esther and I met at Laurier. I was in my fourth year. She was in her first year. <laughs> she sat beside me on the bus at a retreat with power to change. That's how everybody meets uh, in power to change. We call it peers to couples because P2C is the, the short form. It used to, be, used to be campus for Christ and it was couples for Christ. That's how it. <laughs> so we've been married for 11 months last week. Yeah, so... Uh, next next month is our one year. You could have done the math on that, but I did, did that for you. But needless to say, today's message won't be five uh, tips to a perfect marriage, because uh, just just figuring it out myself. But it's been a real privilege to be with you so far, and it's a privilege to be up there this morning. There's There's really no reason that you should listen to me this morning. I don't know you. You don't know me. And uh, I'm younger than most of you. What do, what do I have to bring but hopefully, I'm so glad I don't have to come here and entertain you and, and make you pay attention for 20 minutes, half an hour. I get to preach from this book, which I hope you have a copy of, because this is God's Word, and I want you to have a copy so you can see that what I say this morning hopefully isn't from me, but it's from God, and we can pay attention and learn something, myself included. So we're going to turn to Proverbs 2. Proverbs 2, verses 1 to 5 is where we'll be. I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray. And then get into it. So Proverbs 2 starts like this. It says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and for this passage this morning. I ask you would stir in us a passion to engage our hearts and minds and bodies in a pursuit of you in everything we do and everything we think. Bless my words. Bless our hearts and our ears this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage, as I was thinking about it, reminds me of my experience of taking music lessons. And I'll explain that to you. 
I'm sure that quite a few of you have taken music lessons over your life. There's probably a bunch of piano players in here, a few guitar players. There's maybe a tuba player. Anyone? We discovered our neighbor across the hall at our apartment is a tuba player, but I've, I've never heard him play the tuba, which is probably for the best uh, overall. But I started taking music lessons when I was four years old, so I tried a lot of things. I was that kid in music class rolling my recorder across the floor rather than actually playing it. Um, and then I tried piano, too many buttons, couldn't figure that one out. I, started, I tried violin, because my aunt always told me I should play violin, but if you can picture something that sounds better than a child-sized violin, let me know. Couldn't do it. And you had to stand up and hold your arms up. Ugh, couldn't, so I quit that. Gives you a little insight to what kind of child I was. And then I was six years old, I started voice lessons. And that's where I stayed for the next 12, 13 years. I did vocal lessons. You didn't have to carry anything with you. You just showed up, did some breathing exercises. <laughs> At Laurier, there's, uh, has a, a very prominent music school. I used to see the cello players and the double bass players dragging their instruments down the snowy sidewalks, and I thought, the voice students, they've got it made. <laughs> and the piano players, it's already there for you. But as you progress in, in music lessons, it becomes more than just learning the notes and learning the words and learning the tunes. You have to learn other things besides just the music. So I had to learn, I did all the examinations and the grades, so they take all the fun out of it by making you uh, take grades and exams. You had to start music history and music theory. You had to learn the pronunciation of other languages. And, and there were all these points along the line where I was thinking, Aren't, can't I just sing? Isn't that, like, I just want to do the thing I want to do. But being a musician is more than just knowing how to play an instrument. The more I learned about my voice and about music in general, the more I could make my instrument work for me and I could create something rather than just copying what other people have done. And I think this passage this morning is like that. If you're a Christian in this room this morning, then you want to follow God. That's the thing you want to do. And the Holy Spirit gives you that desire to follow and serve and grow in God. But until Jesus comes back, that's not just easy. It's not just check the boxes and move on. It's a struggle. It takes effort. It takes sustained, consistent work to come to a greater knowledge and fear of God. And this passage is about actively engaging our hearts and minds and bodies in pursuing God. So just so we all know where we're going, this is what I'm going to do this morning. First, we're going to look at what this passage says about us as, as positionally before the text. So who are we? How should we be reading this? Then we're going to look at what we're trying to achieve. What are the goals of our efforts, and then we're going to look at how and why we pursue the thing we're supposed to perceive. So our position, the goal, and the how and why. That's where we're going. So this text starts clearly by telling us how we should view ourselves in light of God uh, and his commandments to us. The first two words are, my son. Now the book of Proverbs is full of these kinds of addresses. It's fathers talking to sons. It's parents addressing children. It's the wise talking to the simple. The king addressing his subjects. But for our purposes this morning, all of these passages can be God talking to us. No matter which relationship you examine in Proverbs, it's always the older, the more experienced, the more knowledgeable, the, the greater, talking to those who need help who are lesser, who are the more simple, the younger, the no, those in need of experience. And there's various levels of experience and experience. We'll leave it at experience in this room. And 
But when we're coming to the Bible, we're coming before the infinite, holy, all-knowing, all-loving God of the universe. So we're all children. We're all lesser. And we need to come to this passage and all of God's word like that. Because if we don't, we'll find reasons to say, well, that doesn't apply to me, or this person really needs to hear that. We all need to come to God as our Father and as children who need to be grown and matured in the words of our Heavenly Father. So then the passage goes on to tell us how to get to the goal, but we're going to skip the middle chunk and go to verse 5 so that we can talk about what we're trying to achieve all the way through. It's an if-then statement, this verse, which makes it really simple. That's, that's how we like to think. If you do this, think this way, position yourself like this, then this will happen. So we have the loving words of God to his children, us, telling us how we can achieve something. And here's what it says. Verse 5. My son, yada, yada, yada. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So fear and knowledge are the goals of our passage this morning. So let's talk about those quickly. Fear of the Lord. Fear is not a word we use very often in a positive sense. But the Bible uses it in a positive sense all the time. When the authors of Scripture are saying the fear of the Lord, what they mean is this healthy fear of God that drives us to worship, obey, wonder, and bask in His awesomeness. It's the same fear that a child has of their parents when they know they've messed up. It's the same fear you have of your boss when you're like, I need to work or I'm going to have someone watching me. It's that accountability. It's that relationship of responsibility. And that fear is based on knowledge. Knowledge, we know what knowledge is. It's the things we can know. So God's revealed himself to us. He's told us things about himself in his word and in creation that we can know are true. He's good. He's holy. He's loving. He's all-powerful. He's the creator. He's always existed. These are the things we know about God. And when fear and knowledge go together, something happens. When we think God is awesome, fear, and we know who he is, knowledge, that's a powerful combination. I remember when I was little and I used to watch my dad drive the boat that we used to have, this big 26-foot boat we used to cruise around in. And I watched him and just going, I, I, how, does, how does he do that? It's this huge boat that can go so fast, but he gets close to the dock and he can go so slowly and park this thing effortlessly. I always knew we'd be in safe hands when we were on that boat, even if the waves were bouncing us all around. And when I was older, not nearly older enough, but uh, older, he put me on his lap and let me steer the boat. And I was just through the roof. I was doing something that my awesome dad could do. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to be in awe of him so much that we want to do everything he's doing. And that's what today's passage is about. Children, coming to the Father, saying, how can I do what you're doing? So let's get into the the details, the middle of the passage. How do we actively put our minds and hearts and bodies to work in pursuing God? Each of these passages, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, gives a pair of imperatives that tell us something about what it means to grow in the knowledge and fear of God. And the first is, knowing God is a gift. We must receive him. So let's read verse 1 again. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you. So this verse gives us two encouragements 
to store up and accept the words and commandments of the Father. And remember that these are the words and commandments of our loving Father, saying to us, my son, my daughters, accept my words, store up my commandments. So what does he mean by words and commandments? Well, I mean, I think obviously it it means this book that we have in our hands. It means the word of God. The Bible is our most supreme and ultimate authority on who God is and what he desires and his purposes and designs for the world. The pages of the Bible we hold in our hand are the inerrant word of God in the most accurate and powerful way we have to know God. And we can hold this in our hands this morning because God has protected it for thousands of years. Have you ever thought about that? Through empires rising and falling, war and fires and translations and persecution, plagues, exile, conquest, and just overall neglect, God's word has survived for us. What a gift. This verse is one of many in the Bible that reinforces the value of God's words in our lives. King David writes in Psalm 119, verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. Or the well-known verse at the beginning of Psalm 119, Your word have I hid in my heart that, we can say it together probably, that I might not sin against thee. I learned it with thee. (laughs) You probably did too. Psalm 119 is actually a great devotional resource for this, this thought that Solomon, David's son, is trying to get across to us. I think Solomon definitely learned this from his dad. But the words that God tells us to do, he says, accept and store up. These are both old-fashioned words for me, I think. When I googled your church, when Brian first asked me to preach, your, your, the picture has tractors parked in front of the church. So I'm assuming there's some farmers or farming families, at least, in the building. So you might remember a time, or your parents remember a time, or your grandparents remember a time when there was no such thing as going to Walmart on a Saturday in the winter to get food. You had to store up from your harvest for the entire year, and you had to steward and protect and be responsible for that harvest for the whole year. And if you, if you ran out, you were at the mercy of friends and family or, or out of luck. There was also a time where if you wanted to buy something, you had to actually have the money for it, like in your pocket. I don't remember those days, but there were those days. And you had to save and sacrifice and say, I can't get this because I have to get this. And this is what God's word and our relationship with it is like. Okay, there's no credit card for God's word. I can't make a purchase this month and say, I'll read double next month. That's how, that's how it'll work. And there's no Costco for God's word. I can't go and buy a 10-kilogram bag of pre-memorized Bible verses. The 5-kilogram jar of peanut butter is a good idea, but there's no Bible verses. I can't read twice tomorrow to make up for today. And when that rainy day comes and that phone call comes that takes the floor out from under our feet, we, we need a warehouse full of the Bible and our relationship with God to get us through, to remind us that we're loved and cared for and held by a loving Father. There's no other way to do that than accepting and storing up God's Word in our heart. I know for me, it's the words of hymns and songs that help me carry that around because I can always remember those. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Those are the kinds of things I need to remember. 
And whatever works for you, whether that's reminders on your phone or in your house, whether that's choosing a group of friends or your family to memorize a passage of Scripture with. Our small group does that. At the beginning of the semester, we pick a chunk of Scripture and we memorize a verse a week and we have to say it out loud to each other every week so that we can store up God's words in our heart and have that for when we need it. So knowing God is a gift from Him, we must accept it. The next way from verse 2 to grow in the knowledge of God is knowing God is a lesson. I must listen to Him. Verse 2 says, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Well, the last verse urges us to use our minds to accept God's word. This verse urges us to use our ears to listen to godly wisdom. After accepting and storing up the words of God, we need to begin to apply them to our hearts and minds. God wants us to position ourselves well to continue to grow and develop our understanding of him and his commandments. God wants us to be students of him. Both of the verbs in this passage, the the words turn and apply, in the Hebrew, there, there are these words that mean stretching and bending and growing towards. It's like a contorting of our whole body. Like a flower that turns its face to the sun, we need to bend toward places where God is most accessible. So where is that? Where do we go? Where should we turn ourselves to find God? Well, first first of all, I hope that's right here. Sunday mornings with the gathered people of God. Where else are there so many different people from so many different backgrounds with so much various experience all coming together for one purpose, to know, love, and learn about God? There's such a wisdom and wealth of understanding in this place. And I'm sure your pastor could tell dozens of stories of where he's been blessed and he's seen other people blessed because they chose to turn themselves to this group of people rather than turning to the world for wisdom and and help first. This verse calls us to take the words and commandments of God, hear them and teach them to our hearts and encourage each other with them every day so we're strengthened and ready to answer with the wisdom and understanding in light of God's words and commandments. Turn our ears to understanding and apply our hearts to wisdom. Knowing God is a lesson. We must listen. So once we've received and listened, it's time to start acting out our desire for God. So the next verse tells us knowing God is necessary. I must ask for him. Verse 3 says, Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. We've used our minds, we've used our ears, now it's time to use our mouths. God's telling us to receive and listen, but now he's asking us to ask. In chapter 1 of Proverbs, we read about this forbidden woman who's crawling out in the streets to try to ensnare people into her clutches and into sin. And contrasted with that, right here in verse 2, we're seeing that we're to call out to God, not to heed the cries of the world, but we're to call out for God and not to, to be sucked into the world who's begging us to accept its fixes and its temptations and its new and improved ways of thinking. Needs, God wants us to ask. He wants us to come to a place in our receiving and listening that we come to the end of ourselves and surrender our ability to do it. Every time we ask for something, what we're saying is, I can't do it. I need help. 
Esther and I were babysitting our favorite one-year-old a couple weekends ago. It was our first experience overnighting with a child that with the parents not in the, in the vicinity. I think we did pretty well. She survived. <laughs> but the first thing that you need to, to learn when, and adjust to, with a, especially with a child, is they're really needy. Like, everything. Like she, she has the inability to do anything for herself. It, it, clothes, hygiene, food, bedtime, entertainment, cleaning up, you all have to be done for her. Uh, the only thing she can competently do is make a mess. She's really good at that. First thing she does after a nap, run out to the living room, grab the box of books that we just put away and just mm, flip it right over on the floor. But there's still something so precious about the way she seems to know that. The way she can just stand looking up at the counter that's way above her head, knowing her water cup is up there, holding her arms out and looking at one of us just... Mm, mm. It just melts my heart. We love this little girl so much. (laughs) She knows she can't get that water. She knows that. But she also knows she needs it. And she's surrendering her adorable little life into our inexperienced hands. She's surrendering her life into more powerful, capable hands. And we need to be like that. And most of our requests in life when we're asking for something, we're actually surrendering a little bit of ourselves to someone or something that can let us down. But when we're asking for godly wisdom, we're surrendering ourselves into the mighty hands of the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God of the universe. That's a safe place to be. The God who says, if you ask for anything in my name, I will do it. John 14, 14. And also the God who tells us through James, you do not have because you do not ask. My dad loves that verse. <laughs> he loves that verse, and if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. That's, I think, his second favorite verse. <laughs> but like everything else in the Christian life, our knowing God and our desire for God cannot be separated from our prayer life. Knowing God without prayer is like me saying, yeah, I, I know my wife really well, but I've never talked to her. She talks to me for sure, but I need to work on that. (laughs) Asking for wisdom and understanding and to know more of God is is what receiving and listening is all about. Our requests to God show that our hearts and minds have been softened to understand and fear God more. Someone who never asks for something because they're too proud and too stubborn is not in a good place. And we need to begin that habit of asking God for more. Knowing God is a lesson we must ask for him. Now there's one more verse before we get back to the end. And our Father is urging us to do this this morning. Knowing God is valuable and must hunt for him. So when we accept God's words, listen to his instructions, and ask for wisdom and understanding, it culminates in a treasuring of God that's so powerful it drives us in ways that change our entire life. In 1896, the first traces of gold were found in the Yukon territories. I didn't know this information off the top of my hand. I knew I wanted to use this in illustration, but you can just Google, and that's what I did. 1896, the first traces of gold were found in the Yukon territories, and world traveled fast all the way down the coast, all over North America. And over the next just three years, over 100,000 people had completely picked up their lives and moved to the Yukon territories. 
All right, just for a chance to get their hands on some gold. Right, so the government of Canada required people to bring a year's worth of supplies with them. So they had to bring those to the railway station, load them on the trains, and then they had to get them from the train stations into the mountains. So they go back and forth and back and forth. And think about the food, the shelters, the tools. It was, over a, it was a ton of supplies, like a metric ton of supplies they had to bring for a year's worth. And all of this worked just because they heard that they could find gold. People left their homes, their families, their jobs for the shot at striking it rich on solid gold in the wastelands of northern Canada. What if we prayed for the perspective and the chance to desire God with that kind of zeal? The zeal that drives us to abandon everything, if that's what we're called to do, selling everything we have and come follow me. Those words sound familiar. What if we stopped taking God's word for granted with all our translations and formats and treasured that time with God in his divinely inspired word and, and how he's revealing himself to us? And I say these things this morning like that because I'm guilty of that. I went to seminary. I have so many books. My wife has, they're in the front and then they're hidden behind the books and then they're in, under my desk and in boxes and in crates in the closet I have so many translations of the Bible. I have the Greek and Hebrew on my phone. I can just swipe them open. But yet some mornings it's a struggle to be even swipe the phone open and, and read my verse for the day. I hope I'm not alone in that. This verse reminds me of those parables that Jesus told in Matthew 13. The first of the man who stumbled upon a treasure in a field, went home, sold everything he had, and bought that field so he could have that treasure. Or the other man who saw a pearl and said, I need to have that pearl and sold everything he had and bought the pearl of great price. That's the kind of zeal and passion that God wants us to have. His point is that the kingdom of God is precious. It's rare. And when you find it, don't take your eyes, heart, or mind off it for a second. God's word here to us is that we need that kind of zeal in our lives. We need a passion to find and pursue and hunt for God like those prospectors in the Yukon, if they could have found gold, it would change their life forever. But unlike silver or gold, the knowledge of God and the fear of God are not found on this earth. They're nothing we can generate ourselves. We have to look through the creation that God's made and revealed himself in and in his word to see him hidden in plain sight everywhere. God has designed this world to operate in order and by certain rules. So when God is teaching us wisdom about our money, our lives, our worship, our relationships, and our families. He's trying to tell us this is how it's supposed to work. These are the Lego instructions. Put this piece on this piece. Don't ad lib. It's going to fall apart. We have to look for wisdom wherever we go from God, fleeing from foolishness of the world and going hard after what God has deemed good. Knowing God is valuable, we must hunt for it. So we've covered a lot of ground this morning in these five verses. We've been reminded that God's our Father, that we must come to his word and wisdom with humility and openness, like a child asking for a glass of water. We've learned that the goal of our pursuits is that we should know and fear God. When we know how our God has revealed himself and stand in awe and wonder of that, It creates a perfect balance of the dutiful obedience and the joyful service that God is calling us to. 
And we've learned how and why we must pursue God. Knowing God is a gift, we must receive him. Knowing God is a lesson, we must listen to him. Knowing God is necessary, we must ask for him. And knowing God is valuable, we must hunt for him. We've talked a lot about being with God in prayer, in his word, and with his people. But there's two more individuals that we need to include in in our pursuit of God this morning. And the first is the Holy Spirit, the often forgotten third member of the Trinity. I don't know about you, but just like I quit all those music lessons as a kid because I didn't like holding my arms up, there are days when I sure feel like quitting the hard work of following after God, the work of having those heart-to-heart conversations with my wife so we can make sure we're putting God ahead of even each other in our jobs, to reaching out to that friend or loved one who is recovering from surgery or just had a baby and not forgetting about them, the work of putting sin to death in my life and nurturing openness and confession with trusted brothers in Christ, the work of spending that valuable time every day praying and meditating so it doesn't slip through my heart and mind like water I'm holding in my hands. These things of the the Mission Bell series that you're going through, that's a lot of work. These are things we have to do, and I can't do it. I need help. But Jesus promised us a helper, didn't he? I want to read John 14, 15 to 21. John 14, 15. If you love me, this is Jesus talking, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it, is, it neither sees nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Doesn't that sound like a perfect encouragement for today? That the Holy Spirit is sent to us so we can remember God loves us and we need to love him. To help us accept God and be there with him every day. The Holy Spirit helps us discern between what's divine godly wisdom and what is worldly wisdom and we can ignore. He keeps us and as Ephesians says, he seals us for God. And then the second person we need to include is the Lord Jesus himself. We're urged in this passage to ask for wisdom, to pursue insight, and and to treasure up the words of God. And who's the word made flesh, according to John 1? And who is the wisdom of God who's present with him in creation, according to 1 Corinthians 1? It's Jesus Christ. When we're called to increase in understanding and wisdom, we're being called to look harder and more fully at Jesus. The God-man who lived the perfect life of fear and knowledge of God. He said that if we know him, in that verse we just read, if we know him, we know the Father. Pursuing God this side of the cross is all about pursuing Jesus Christ. So when the sages of Israel wrote the book of Proverbs, those wise men, they had just a fraction of what we have. They didn't know what they were pointing to, and they said, ask for wisdom. 
But we do. We know that Jesus is that pearl of great price. We know that Jesus is that treasure hidden in the field. We know that Jesus is more precious than silver or gold. And he's the hidden treasure we should sell everything for and pursue after. It's Jesus that we have to receive and store up and turn to and apply our hearts to and call out to and apply and, and cry aloud to. And it's him we must look for and search for. In Jesus' perfect life, freely given to us, his atoning death in our place for our sins, his burial to show the finality of his work, and his glorious resurrection to prove the validity of his sacrifice, and the one that brings us to him, we see the perfect and glorious wisdom of God. Brothers and sisters, we need to actively pursue the knowledge and fear of God in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the book of Proverbs wants us to do. Our God's a generous God. He gives good and valuable gifts to us as children. And when you develop those habits of turning our eyes, our ears, our mouths, our minds, and our hearts to him, begging for more of Jesus. And that's a discipline in our lives. We have to pack our bags and march into those Yukon territories of God, to those places we never thought we'd go. And we'll know God more and more if we keep on that trail. And then one day, one day, we'll have that all perfectly. We won't have to struggle with that anymore. When Christ returns, we'll know him as he is. Until then, we have to receive and listen and value and hunt for God with everything we have. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you give us a challenge this morning that we cannot do on our own. I ask that you would be with us and that you would move in our hearts to give us those those encouragements, those little moments of Be with me today. Pray about this. Remember my words here. That Holy Spirit, you would guide our hearts and our minds to be with you and value that time with you. That our families, our homes, would be set up in a way that puts you first. And you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you have for us. You never let us go. You never let us down. You always have more of your infinite self for us. Help us to be hungry, and thirsty for more of you. Ask your blessing on this church. Ask your blessing on the events of their days. Keep them safe. Keep them joyful and connected and joined as a family of God here. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.